Conversations. Welcome to Med Conversations or Medical Conversations. Or Med Chats, as it's otherwise known. <laughs> I'm Darvel. And you are? And I'm Beck. And you are? Rahul. <laughs> All right, we are here to talk about osteoporosis. What is the definition of osteoporosis? Reduced bone mass. And is it a macro architectural thing? Are there big fractures everywhere? Sometimes, Mo- but yeah, at times, micro 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 architectural deterioration. And if you were to do Mainly a DEXA scan, bone loss. That's right. Mm-hmm. If you were to do a DEXA scan, which we'll talk about a little bit later, what kind of score are you looking for? Less than negative two point five. Yeah, is it a T score? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, T score. So T score of negative two point five. That's the definition of osteoporosis. But then osteopenia is. Um, less severe than that, so between negative 1 and negative 2.5. And what is a T-score, Rahul? So a T-score is a statistical measure of your place on the normal distribution compared to <laughs> the... Mr. T. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. T. So a young, healthy mm. person, not it's an age match, sex match. That's the way you remember it, because there's also Z-score, but T-score is the more relevant one, and that's because that's the one that is compared to Mr. T, who is the gold standard human being. Mm. So in terms of classification, you've got primary and secondary as in all things in medicine. Primary is age-related due to postmenopausal decrease in estrogen, and secondary is conditions or drugs. So some other cause. Exogenous-y type stuff. Common stuff, this osteoporosis business? Reasonably. I oh, would, was that a question? I would that contend. A, yeah, that was inflection implied. Mm. Your turn to say something. <laughs> So, so, 6% of men over 50 years, and what percent of women? So, women are three times more likely than men to get it, so 18%. So, if you have a lifetime fracture risk, 50% is another mm. fact that I'm just going to ad hoc in there. Nice one. Oh, this is so, when you think about your stereotypical osteoporosis patient, it's an old hunched over lady. Let's go to a case. Glenis's story. She's a 90-year-old lady, and she's hunched over. She presents with severe back pain. She was picking up a pot plant the day of presentation when she suddenly felt a shot of serious pain. She's been in severe pain ever since. She's pretty well for a 90-year-old and can usually pick up pot plants fine. Her only past medical history is osteoporosis. She's on bisphosphonates. On uh, which one, Rahul? She's on alendronate, actually. Let's go with that. Mm. Mm. And she's previously had minimal trauma fractures. She's had a Collie's fracture, a pubic rami fracture. Um, and the X-ray this time shows terrible vertebral crush fractures in her lumbar spine. L4 has an 85% height loss and L2 is a 50% height loss. They're just pancakes. So in general, how does osteoporosis present? doesn't it does not present (laughs) commonly asymptomatic until you've got a fracture there's no real clinical manifestations and that's an important point because patients with no fracture assume they don't have osteoporosis and uh, patients with achy feet and hips assume it's because of osteoporosis so Mm -hmm. that's false Uh, and vertebral fracture is the most common manifestation two-thirds of these are actually asymptomatic which is crazy to me to think that you can fracture your spine and not feel it but apparently that's the case two-thirds of the time obviously if they do present pain is the main symptom so with a collapse of vertebra um, you lose height which is part of the reason why old people lose height for thoracic fractures what's the test a wall occiput test. So, so you stand them up against the wall and you see how far away their occiput or the back of their head is away from the wall. So if you're a GP and you don't have x-rays available at a sign of a slip, uh, you might just quickly do that to see if it's worth sending it off. 
and for lumbar fractures back. Rib pelvis distance. Mm. So presumably these, t- I've never seen these tests done, but presumably they're compared to a standard of someone of that age yeah. because obviously as people age, they get more of a kyphosis anyway. False go on the money once mm. again. Mm. And other common fractures are hip and collies. All right, DEXA scans, as promised. So what does DEXA stand for, Beck? Dual energy x-ray absorptiometry. Nice one. So measurements of spine and hip are done because they have the biggest impacts on health and also because they're the best validated. So it measures the bone mineral content and the bone area and then uses those two to calculate the density. So if every decrease in standard deviation away from Mr. T, what's the increase in fracture risk, Rahul? Uh, twofold, I believe. Nice one. Mm. So you still get a DEXA scan on patients with a fragility fracture, even though you already know they have osteoporosis, because you need to assess the response to therapy. So just a baseline. Exactly. And as we'll talk about later, if they don't respond to bisphosphonates, which are first line, then you go to other things like teriparatide. So why would this lady have such severe osteoporosis? Why would Glenda have such severe osteoporosis? What are the risk factors? Is there some mnemonic that fits with a fracture? Well, no. when, I, <laughs> when, I was, when I was in medical school, we did shattered. Mm. So, so S? S was for steroids. So they promote osteoclast resorption of bone, and they also decrease calcium absorption from gut, which is why I use it when someone comes in with hypercalcemia. Also decreases muscle mass, so your bones aren't as well supported. And individuals getting more than 7.5 milligrams of prednisolone for more than three months should be assessed for bone-sparing therapy. I think that's something that probably gets missed all the time. Mm. The number of patients that are on like 5 to 10 yeah, preds forever. Little, sneaky little pred. Of course. That would get missed a lot. What does a H stand for? Thyroidism. Yeah. Hyperthyroidism <laughs> specifically, or right next door, hyperparathyroidism, probably even more of a problem. A is for alcohol and tobacco use. T is for thin, so BMI less than 22. There's two T's in shattered, so T is also for testosterone, specifically low testosterone. And that also includes anti-androgen prostate cancer treatment. E is for estrogen decrease. R is for renal failure or liver failure. R is for liver failure. Yeah, Uh correct. And E is for erosive and or inflammatory bone diseases, specifically Rahul. Multiple myeloma. Or rheumatoid arthritis. D is for dietary calcium, as in you don't have enough of it, or malabsorption. That one's pretty poor, isn't it? D, dietary calcium. (laughs) (laughs) Or um, diabetes mellitus, type 1. Take us through again, Beck, all of these quickly, if you could. So it's shattered, S for steroids, H for hyperthyroidism or hyperparathyroidism, A for alcohol and tobacco, T for thin, and T for testosterone, as in decreased testosterone. E for estrogen, also decreased. R for renal or liver failure. E for erosive or inflammatory bone disease. And D for dietary calcium or diabetes. Can I have a turn at saying them as well? No. Okay. Unfortunately, Glenis did not have any of the shattered causes on history. I, I say unfortunately because if you find them, you might be able to treat them. Although, I guess renal failure is never good to have. Linda, we're sorry to tell you, you don't have terrible liver fat. <laughs> <laughs> really all opening for it. But. So in terms of initial laboratory evaluation, so someone comes into ED, you're doing the admission, what kind of screening bloods would you send off back? Um, so I do your basic FBE. So if you have anemia in there, what would you then go hunting for? 
multiple myeloma. Or celiac disease. Yeah. And calcium, magnesium, phosphate, CMP. So if they're hypercalcemic at that point, then you do the parathyroid hormone and think about multiple myeloma. Any other bloods, Rahul, for basic bloods? No. Osteoporosis screen? No. No. Well, I would do vitamin D. Mm-hmm. LFTs as well. Remember, liver failure was a secondary cause. TFTs, remember, thyroid. Um, hyperthyroidism was a cause. And UECs, because renal failure was one as well. So, Glenis, her, it, she's a little bit anemic. Her calcium's a little bit high. Her EGFR's 50, so pretty standard geriatric so, blood panel. Cra, we're almost there. Mm. Then I referred to endocrinology, and they asked for some further tests. They asked for a 24-hour urine calcium, which the nurses were not happy about. What were they looking for? Familial hypercalciuria. So if your serum calcium is low, then you might have problems with calcium reabsorption in the tubules and you're peeing out too much calcium, and then boom, osteoporosis down the track. A multiple myeloma screen, so what does that mean to you? It means something different to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever I feel like ordering on that day. Um, generally, a serum, generally speaking, a serum protein electrophoresis. Pep. An ESR. Yep. Maybe throw in a serum-free light chains there. Mm-hmm. Sneak in a bit of two microglobulin. You might do urinary bench drones and UPEP. Sprinkle so some urinary protein electrophoresis, but that's pretty superfluous if you've got the other stuff. You can have a stew going. And a PTH level, so parathyroid hormone level as well, is part of the secondary screen. So some of the other tests that you might consider according to up-to-date. Celiac serology, if they're the right age group, if they've got symptoms, and especially when they've got anemia, uh, low vitamin D and low calcium excretion, that's urinary excretion. Urinary cortisol, so that midnight salivary cortisol test might be your first one. Um, and that's if you're suspicious of Cushing's. Um, and you can also get subclinical hypercortisolism. Cortisolism? Cortisolism. Um, so if you're really grasping at straws as to why they have osteoporosis, think about that. Uh, and in men, serum testosterone. So then I'll just quickly run through this because this is very endo-specific stuff. But there are some markers specific to bone formation. You can actually have bone-specific ALP, so it's not the liver stuff osteocalcin, and N-terminal propeptide of type 1 procollagen, P1NP. Mm, and there's also some yes. markers specific to bone mm. resorption. So n peptide of type 1 collagen, NTX, and some other ones as well. <laughs> however, <laughs> well summarized. <laughs> the role of this is not very well established in uh, no, no, individual no, these patients. These are value for money tests. You need to be <laughs> spending these on the government's bar. All right, Rahul. Let's go back to things that give you good bang for buck. All right. What are some lifestyle measures you can implement to improve people's osteoporosis risk? Stop smoking and stop drinking ETOH. You might consider doing some exercise. In a meta-analysis of 10 trials, exercise reduced the occurrence of overall fractures in older adults from 10.9% in the control group to 4.8% in the exercising group, so halves the risk. Intensity of exercise does not seem to matter. In case you're wondering, the 95% confidence interval on that is 0.31 to 0.76. Don't go in unprepared. (laughs) So there's also balance exercises to help people fall less. A good diet full of calcium and vitamin D, which you find in fish. And also ask the occupational therapist to help you with a home-based falls prevention program. And obviously the best way to increase vitamin D is actually sunlight exposure. One of the Rather than dietary. Correct. 
So in terms of vitamin D, one of the ways. In terms of vitamin D and calcium, calcium-wise, <laughs> postmenopausal women should be getting 1,200 milligrams per day. There is some controversy about supplementation because there's an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. But for now, the recommendation is still to take them. Watch that space, though. Vitamin D, postmenopausal women should take in 800 international units of vitamin D daily, which is interesting because the minimum dose for us seems to be 1,000 units. All right, so pharmacological therapy. So anyone with a fragility fracture <coughs> or a T-score of less than 2.5 are candidates for pharmacologic therapy. Patients with a T-score of neg 1 to neg 2.5, so that was osteopenia. Right. Uh, then you need to go Correct. to a risks system um, called FRAX. Remember that? FRAX. You can find it on the internet, plug in your patient's data, and figure out what their 10-year risk of fracture is. And if it's over 20%, give them a bisphosphonate or something similar. So, of course, treatment should always remain individualized. So if the patient decides they don't care about fractures, but they do care about uh, you know, taking something that might give them osteonecrosis of the jaw, then maybe don't bother. So bisphosphonates, this is the first line standard therapy. Everyone needs to know about this. Mechanism-wise, what is it wrong? Uh, it is a drug that inhibits osteoclastic activity, the little cells that break down bone. And that's because bisphosphonates have a similar structure to pyrophosphonates. Oh, I understand exactly. now. Yeah, yeah. So they're taken up by the osteoclast and boom, apoptosis. Just like pyrophosphonates. <laughs> so indications, it's always the first line, and that's because it's low-cost... Uh, we know it works, and the, we know that it's relatively safe in the long term, which is more than we know for a lot of drugs that we use. So the usual choices you see in Australia are lendronate or resendronate. And remember, or even resendronate. Even that one. <laughs> so remember that you can still give it in patients with gourd or peptic ulcer disease, but it's when they have the full-on esophagitis or really bad, you know, esophageal strictures or something like that that you might think twice. What are some other contraindications? <laughs> <laughs> um, upcoming jaw surgery. Mm. Mm-hmm. Upcoming jaw surgery. And like flat out renal failure, you don't give it in those patients either. Thing. But low GFR is okay. But if they're on dialysis, I think it's less than 30, you think twice. So important points to remember, you must make sure the vitamin D and calcium is replete first. And after you take them, pop them in a back brace because they have to sit upright for 30 minutes after they've taken their bisphosphonate to minimize the risk of reflux and then damage to your esophagus. So long-term risk, there's a theoretical risk that it could give you frozen bone. Uh, However, if patients are still high risk after five years, just keep them on the bisphosphonate. And if the bone mineral density is stable, uh, so just the same T-score, after three years on zolandronic acid or five years on the orals, then you cease it. And uh, this is a really important point. You'll come across this dilemma all the time. So what's your official recommendation, Beck? Do you give someone bisphosphonates right after they fracture a bone, which is when you're most likely to think about osteoporosis? Well, the recommendation from up-to-date is to wait six weeks. There's no data, though, um, but there is a theoretical risk that bisphosphonates might impair fracture healing, which makes sense, of course. Scintillating, yes. Mm. Of course, though, in reality, um, an important thing to remember is that patients often just get completely lost to follow-up. So it's that delicate balance between giving it now when it might not help things in the best possible way and giving it later, um, which they might entirely miss out on. Mm. So another drug is denosumab. So the MAB at the end, of course, means that it is... 
a monoclonal antibody. And this particular fully human monoclonal antibody uh, is an antibody to the receptor activator of rank ligand. It's a rank ligand inhibitor. And rank ligand is an osteoclast differentiating factor. So if you inhibit rank ligand, it inhibits osteoclast formation and thereby decreasing bone resorption and increases bone mineral density. So there's no head-to-head trials comparing denosumab with other therapies. Denosumab? Denosumab, yeah, sorry. Denosumab, get that right, double. But comparing data from different studies indicates there's probably about a similar effectiveness to the bisphosphonates. However, there is an absence of long-term safety data, and interestingly, it also causes osteonecrosis of the jaw, much like bisphosphonates. So when do you use this? Its exact role is unclear at the moment, but which kind of group of patients is it looking like it might be carving out its own denosumab niche? Um, patients with renal failure can be particularly suited to denosumab. Because they can't have bisphosphonates. So our next agent is raloxifen, which is a SERM, which is a selective estrogen receptor modulator. What's a modulator? Is that an agonist or an antagonist? A oh, little column A, little column B. Exactly. So estrogenic actions on bone, anti-estrogenic actions on uterus and breast, which is why they also use it for breast cancer. And that's when you use it, when someone's got both osteoporosis and they need breast cancer prevention for whatever reason, uh, and which is actually quite a big group of patients. Bisphosphonates are still preferred where there's no increase in uh, breast cancer risk, however. So the pros is the breast cancer stuff. And the cons is it does have an increase in thromboembolic events and it also causes hot flushes because it's an estrogenic agonist in those receptors. However, good thing is it has no apparent effect on heart disease or on the endometrium. So our last uh, osteoporosis therapy is teriparatide, which is what, Beck? Um, that's a recombinant parathyroid hormone. That's pretty weird that uh, you give someone parathyroid hormone to help with their osteoporosis, given that was a risk factor and given that parathyroid hormone resorbs calcium from the bone. So it's one of these things where it depends on the, um, I guess, the frequency of the dosage. So natural, um, constantly released parathyroid hormone does cause or increase the risk of osteoporosis, but if you give it intermittently, that can maximise bone formation. Exactly, yeah. So it's not used as a first-line agent because it's very expensive and we don't know how well it works in uh, the long term. And we don't use it together with bisphosphonates because they blunt the effect of PTH. So don't use them together. However, we do use it as kind of like a last-line therapy. So in patients who have fractures with a dexa of uh, less than negative 2.5 and they've had a year of bisphosphonate therapy and they're still having fractures, that's when you pull out the teriparatide or patients who have severe osteoporosis but they can't tolerate any of the other options for whatever reason. We talked about all the contraindications before. So in terms of the unknown long-term safety, one of the things that we do know is that it can increase the risk of osteosarcoma. So you give it for a maximum of two years. Stop it after 24 months. So back to Glenis. She's uh, on bisphosphonates but still had a big fracture. So what are the first things you kind of think about, the easy fix, the low-hanging fruit in situations like this, which is very common? So whenever a patient who's on the right therapy doesn't get better, I think that they're not taking it. So poor adherence to the medication. Or um, even mm. if they are taking it, if their um, gastrointestinal tract, tract isn't absorbing it correctly mm. or properly. Maybe they don't have enough calcium or vitamin D to help 
uh, with the process. Well, maybe they have an untreated secondary cause of osteoporosis. Exactly, yeah. So think about those secondary causes. However, low-hanging fruit aside, uh, what do you do? So patients with persistent poor response to oral bisphosphonate therapy change to IV bisphosphonate, so zolandronic acid, rather than teriparatide or denosumab first. Um, however, if uh, those patients have severe osteoporosis, so T-score less than 2.5, despite oral bisphosphonate, go straight to teripyrotide. That's the up-to-date guidelines, and I think that's pretty routine practice as well. So that's it, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, so as always, there'll be a Quizlet up online that you can practice the rote learning side of things and uh, stay around for next time. Thank you. See you later. Thanks. <laughs>